1: Hello and welcome to another edition of Final Review. My name is Andrew Claudio. On today's episode, In Space... No one can hear you scream, but hopefully you can finally successfully hear this podcast (laughs) now that House of Gucci is hitting theaters in just a few weeks. We are going to once again discuss the 1979 classic from Sir Ridley Scott, known as Alien. Joining me, as always, the Ripley to my Dallas Mr. Bernard Ozrowski. Oz, how are you today, sir?
2: So I guess the the original lost audio is like our Fincher work print cut, and this is this is the this is the theatrical release version let's let's hope that we we do the better one this time.
1: The number of backups that are currently recording, oh my gosh <laughs> um you know, we discussed a lot in the first time the aesthetics and The legendary nature of this movie, um, the qualifications for this the final review it's a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes on 126 reviews 94% in the critic score if that matters to you it was nominated twice at the Academy Awards in 1980 for best art direction and a win in best visual effects and at the box office it made 122.6 million dollars in 1979 which adjusted to today is over 222.2 million dollars i usually ask you what was your reaction the first time you saw it? But I think I'm more interested in your perspective as a, a film buff, as the historian of this podcast, in when you knew how important or how much of a game changer for the horror sci-fi genre this
2: actually was us. Well, the, the short answer is I adore this movie. I think it's it's one of my all-time favorites. And the the longer answer is that this was a really important sort of formative series to me uh if not necessarily the movie itself so when i when i was a little kid my my friends and i on the playground used to play aliens inspired by the cameron version not the not the scott version uh and what that would entail is you know you know each person would be a, a pawned off as a different one of the marines and if you look to the larger canon of video games and comic books. All of those Marines who get dispensed in aliens uh, were the characters that we would imagine playing but that that all arises from this which is I think one of the most masterful and influential of all of the all of the genre movies from the 70s and I think that what is most striking about this movie what most hit me on I actually did two rewatches of it because I love it so much uh, holy shit, this movie looks like it could have been made last month. It looks so good. The, the the There are only just a few scant moments that don't look like a modern $100 million movie, and that is it's it's astonishing how great this movie looks how incredible the designs are it is it is as good as it gets for this type of genre filmmaking
1: well there's a couple genres at play here there's obviously the sci-fi part of it that we're going to do an entire category on whether this is the greatest science fiction movie of all time But the biggest regret I have, and I promise this whole podcast isn't just going to be a drinking game of take a shot whenever we mention that this is the second time we're recording this. But if we could have done this immediately after talking about what makes Carpenter's Halloween so great it would have been kind of perfect because we can talk about what makes horror movies good or great or effective rather than the excessive franchise building that goes on throughout Halloween. And then Alien... There's very little that has to do with the actual Xenomorph and it's really a claustrophobic look at what would happen if you and your crew got stuck on a spaceship with no real escape. It's it's way more about the fear and the horror elements that make this movie so effective. We don't even really know it's called a Xenomorph just yet. We haven't met the the rest of the franchise, the the Alien versus Predator franchise that we're also going to discuss today. Is it even a thought when watching this movie? And I think, for me at least, Oz, it's what makes this movie in particular so effective.
2: Look, so much of the iconic imagery of this film doesn't even include the alien. It's it's Sigourney Weaver hugging a wall, terrified of the mist around the corner. It's just, it, it, it's it's so also constrained. You know, the other thing that occurs to me, and it, it, it's contextualized by Halloween, which was you know just a couple episodes ago for us in halloween you you sort of have to and that's one year before this granted different budgets different production scales you kind of have to hold your nose and go with it when it comes to the the kills you have to accept well there's a certain jankiness it's the 70s it's low budget it's just not what we're used to this thing on the other hand is uh, it is just a fully modern movie there there's uh, and we'll Talk about the the chestburster scene in a bit. There's just there's just nothing like it. Nothing is is that good. I mean, I saw a, a 150 million dollar movie that's coming to Netflix uh, this weekend just the other day, and there's not a single moment of that movie that feels as real and lived in and earned as every single second of this one. Look forward to our bonus review of Red <laughs> Notice next week.
3: There is a clause in the contract which specifically states any systematized transmission indicating a possible intelligent origin must be investigated. I don't want to hear We don't it. know if it's intelligent. I want home yeah. and party. Baku, will you just listen to the man? A penalty of total forfeiture of shares. You got that?
1: Before we get into the category, I just want to quickly say that the one probably big omission that we're not doing in our top fives is Tom Skerritt, who plays Dallas, uh, the captain of the Nostromo. Oz and I came to an agreement that this is an ensemble cast in which Sigourney Weaver plays the most iconic character in the franchise. Ian Holm plays probably the most important character in this movie. And John Hurt has the most iconic scene in the franchise and maybe movie history. Uh, So, We have three members of the cast. Shout out to Tom Skerritt, who had a very big career. We are just not doing a top five for him. As an ensemble, we picked three, and we are comfortable with that. All that being said, Oz, are you ready to do a final review of 1979's Alien? Let's do this. Categories will be Sir Ridley Scott, Sigourney Weaver, Ian Holm, John Hurt, Production Design, Alien movies that's the species alien not the movie alien 1979 the 1970s the alien versus predator franchise and top 5 sci-fi films we start sir ridley scott is alien a top 5 sir ridley scott film now i mentioned this to you last time and i probably won't be genuine again but i actually prefer Tony Scott's films to Ridley Scott while recognizing that there is an uptick in quality, prestige, whatever you want to call it, filmmaking even. I just tend to enjoy the the turning my brain off of certain Tony Scott films a little bit more than the slogs of the Blade Runners in, in Sir Ridley Scott. I, I do recognize we are about to discuss a master of this craft. The decades that his brilliance spans is unprecedented. Let's just start here. How blasphemous is the claim that I just made to you?
2: While well, I like watching Denzel sodomize bad guys with explosives, um, I, Jesus. <laughs> I I uh, think it's that's an insane... a sentence you just said. While it I is. like watching Denzel sodomize bad guys with explosives, it, this is this is a thing that Tony Scott has depicted vividly on screen. Uh uh-huh. um, Look, I I enjoy what Tony Scott brings to the table, but Ridley Scott is a fucking master. Tony is Tony is not. Tony makes fun shit that I enjoy. Uh, the Train movie with Chris Pine is particularly delightful, but uh, that that shit does not belong in the same conversation with the greatness of Ridley Scott, who is one of the most. Uh, diversely talented filmmakers of really of all film history. I mean, this is someone who has done epic as well as anybody in the modern era. He's done action at a high level. He's done war movies. He's done sort of stodgy prestige dramas. He's evidently done something like camp with house of gucci we'll we'll see how that shakes out uh he's done romantic he's done romances he's done kind of a romantic comedy about a vineyard i mean this is a guy who can quite literally work in every genre and he's also i i just he might be the single person with the most stamina on earth you you already alluded to it this is a man in his 80s who is making movies this is not like a Marvel movie where you go to London or Atlanta and you sit around a soundstage and you trust the CGI text to fill in everything for you. This is a guy who's out shooting on locations all around the world in the mud while people are building up like little fake medieval cities around him and then making them look fucking glorious and then it's not just that he's a crazy person and goes <laughs> back and spends years obsessing over these movies so you get someone like uh, bad guy caveat woody allen who prior to being forced off to europe would shit out a, you know a movie every nine months or so and never think about it again and has openly talked in interviews he'd Finish one piece of work and move on to the next piece of work. Very much kind of a, a, a gig job for him. Ridley Scott comes back and like recuts these movies out of obsessiveness every couple of years and manages to find, often years later, better beats for these movies, better edits for these movies, better ways to construct and restructure these movies. It, it is incredible the commitment that this guy has to his art. And truly I am 36 years old and I wish that I had 10% of this man's vigor because I, I just, I will be long dead when I, when 83 years old hits me.
1: So the movie you're thinking of is unstoppable. Uh, with yes, Tony sorry. Scott, Denzel Washington and Chris Pine, a modern day classic. If I do. say Yeah, it's great. Absolutely. Look, there's, there's no comparison. This is, this is like, Comparing your favorite and one mixtape tour Hooper to LeBron James. I, I may enjoy <laughs> the tricks and the, the alley oops and the, the crossing of ankles that you get from the and one mixtape tour, but comparing that to literally someone that's one of the greatest of all time at their craft is is just unfair. I love that comp. It's great. Look, we're in decade number six of Ridley Scott's brilliance. He is um, you know, he is alien in 1979. There is another movie that came out three weeks ago that we did a bonus review of that may show up, spoiler alert, in my top five now because it stuck with me since I saw it three weeks ago. We don't have another precedent like that. We like Scorsese has taxi driver and movies in the 70s that are great. Spielberg has Jaws, but nothing in the 2010s that I care about as much as The Martian. And yet here we are in decade number six with Sir Ridley Scott, and he might have a case for best director we've done so far. You know, nominated for four Oscars, by the way. Do you
2: know them, Oz? Oh, shit. I should remember this from last yeah, time. Yeah, it's, right. it's last it, time. There you go. It, it's uh, it's Alien. It's Thelma and Louise. It is Gladiator and The Martian. He was not nominated for Alien, actually.
1: But you got the other uh, four right. The Martian, he was best a Best Picture producer. Thelma and Gladiator. And then there's one more director nomination he got. Very close to when Gladiator came out. Uh, what the fuck came- Oh, Black Hawk. Black Hawk Down. Correct. Although, I will say after rewatching alien a couple times over the last few weeks and seeing how well he puts together both the sci-fi elements that make this great, the horror elements. Like we're, we're one day going to do jaws on this show and the brilliance that Spielberg always gets credit for is how little he shows the shark you're playing off of the reaction of the people and an alien you're really playing off the reaction of the crew and how terrified they are of their circumstances and how frustrated they are with the situation that they found themselves in, and how he hides the ash reveal, how he how he stages the John Hurt, um, the the cane chest burst, and how we never really see the alien, and it adds to the lore and the the masterpiece that this is. I I, I really. I really am curious to see what your top five is, which we might as well, because how many different decades are going to be covered throughout these top fives is probably going to be the most fascinating part of this for me, at least. So Oz, without further ado, your top five, Ridley Scott, Sir Ridley Scott directed films.
2: All right. I'm going to start at the top here. uh, And that is my favorite Ridley Scott film. I think the the movie that Perhaps best established him as a master, and that is Alien, uh, which, for reasons we've already referenced, is uh, about as good as this sort of genre work can be. My number two, and I, we're going to start going off the grid already here, uh, and it is one of these director's cuts. I would, I would not recommend the theatrical version. I would recommend the director's cut, and that's going to be Kingdom of Heaven, which is a crusade epic. Starring Orlando Bloom, among others, Eva Green and Liam Neeson and uh, Edward Norton, uh, about a uh, really just someone who goes off to the Middle East on a crusade and sort of the the life that he lives there. And the theatrical version turns it into sort of a, a, a budget, janky version of Gladiator. The director's cut is a far more. Lived in almost a, a slice of life of this warrior, and how circumstances compel him to take this journey to the Middle East, and and, and the things in the political intrigue he gets himself involved in there. It, it's really, really good stuff. My my number three is going to be I, I suspect number one for a great many of our listeners, and that's Gladiator. The Russell Crowe, Joaquin Phoenix, Roman epic. Uh, I know there, there are a lot of reasons that one could pick at this movie and say, oh, it's kind of a conventional plot. This thing is incredibly well made. It's yeah, I, I disagree with anybody
1: at. that picks at this movie. I, I'm sorry. This is a They're, masterpiece. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's and it's also you were talking about the fun of Tony Scott. Gladiator is fun as fuck. I mean, just the other day after Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler fought in the in the <laughs> UFC at Madison Square Garden, uh-huh. Michael Chandler, who lost the fight, granted, was walking out of the octagon, throwing his arms out to the side, screaming at people, "Are you not entertained?" It's become iconic. Even even today, more than twenty years later, it's something that everyone instantly recognizes because it's that awesome. Uh, my fourth one is this, this is no one saw this movie when it came out in theaters and it got a very mixed reception and there's a far better director's cut. Uh, and this is the second movie we're going to reference on the podcast where someone fucks a car. And this is, <laughs> This is The Counselor, specifically the director's cut of The Counselor. And <laughs> a, as Javier Bardem delightfully describes Cameron Diaz uh, fucking a car, it was too gynecological for his his interest. But it's, uh, it's about a lawyer, played by Michael Fassbender, who becomes embroiled in... Uh, some mob bullshit with the Mexican cartels, Penelope Cruz is in it, Brad Pitt, just a, a who's who gallery of, of character actors we have come to love, like Dean Norris and Natalie Dormer and Toby Kebler in it. It's really good, and it's written by Cormac McCarthy, the stark nihilist writer. It's his first film, I think only film writing credit, uh, who wrote, among other things, The Road. Uh, it's very, very dark, and I, I found it to be very darkly funny. And if uh, you're a weird sociopath like me, you will probably really enjoy this film. And fifth place for me, and I, I I, will wait to do honorable mentions, but there are a bunch of them. It really, I had six or seven movies in the running for this last spot. I'm going to go with the one that I think is the best directed, even though it might not be the my favorite of these films, and that's going to be Blackhawk Down, Uh to convey that amount of battlefield chaos over that amount of time with that number of characters without resorting to the tropes of you know everyone taking off their helmets you can clearly see who everyone is and to make it comprehensible is is a master feat and look there there are a lot of veterans and things who've been interviewed who've said that, that is that is the movie that gets it more than anything else that it gets the intensity more than anything else and that that resonates me so for me black hawk down is gonna is gonna round out my top five
1: little did i know when we first started this pod that in the first nine episodes a multiple time entry would be ridley scott's the counselor because you did this also (laughs) when we discussed javier bardem god bless you oz i love i i appreciate that i appreciate that choice um we do have some crossover on our list, and it starts at the top because Alien absolutely and only was solidified by having to rewatch it the past couple weeks. Alien's my number one as well. I think it's it's so well crafted. Could come out in twenty twenty one and I'd believe you. Um it's one of the best of its genre, and it's for me the best thing Ridley Scott's ever done. My number two is a personal recency bias fave. I've seen The Martian so many times since it came out in 2015, whether it be the one man play that's going on on Mars with Damon or the uh, Obama era optimism that's going on with the world trying to get him home back on Earth, which is very disheartening to watch that movie now and to think there was ever a time that if the world was at crisis, we wouldn't just go to our corners like real life, but we might all work together for the greater good. Go figure. Uh, So The Martian's my number two. My number three is Gladiator, for all the reasons that you said, as well as the fact that it's up there for my favorite sports movies. That's all I'll say on that. And then my number four, speaking of recency bias, speaking of Sword and Sandals sports movies, is The Last Duel. Since I've seen this movie, I have just continuously thought about it. And I mentioned how much Scott pays attention to detail in his direction of alien and man, the attention to detail in how he directs the Comer portion, the driver portion and Matt Damon and how you really do feel like you watched the same story from three different perspectives and it's really driven in performance. And, and the way he he just puts all three together is so brilliant. And then the final battle, unless you're really in tune with your late 1300s uh, duels, you're not going to know what's going to happen. And so it's it's pretty thrilling as well. Um, and then my number five is a toss-up. Because I would have had Thelma and Louise here. I love, like you mentioned, the Kingdom of Heaven director's cut. But Black Hawk Down, I have a personal connection to. At my alma mater in college, I was not allowed to watch Rated R movies. My school had a rule. Then Sergeant General Jeff Strucker, who in the movie is played by Brian Van Holt, uh, he came to speak at our school. So the rule book then was amended to say that you're not allowed to watch Rated R movies. Except for Black Hawk Down. <laughs> uh, I actually had the chance to interview the Sergeant General. It was a pretty great experience. So because of that personal anecdote and because that movie is pretty epic, Black Hawk Down will be my number five. While it, it really is a toss
2: up between the the last three from my number five. Oz, any honorable mentions? So uh, th- this is really hard for me. I, I, it was I thought long and hard about the last duel, and and part of the reason that I omitted it is because I've seen all these other movies multiple times. They've had a long while to to sort of sit with me. I think if if I had seen the last duel a second time, I, I think if we did this in the new year, I, I might have a different ranking, and that may also make it to my top five but it just doesn't quite make it matchstick man is up there for me the martian is great thelman louise is wonderful i i will shout out because i think it's extremely well directed though we both have a, a number of quibbles with it uh blade runner is in the conversation for me and the last one i want to mention is a movie called a good year which is i think it might be his least seen movie box office-wise, if not literally, it, it's up there. Uh, it's about Russell Crowe, who inherits a, a vineyard in France and goes over there to run the vineyard and falls in love with Marion Cotillard. Uh, it's really good. It's a really touching love story. It's it's probably a pretty good date movie. Um, I, would, <laughs> I would strongly recommend tracking it down. It was kind of poorly reviewed in real time, but it's because he went from like gladiator to romance in a French vineyard. And I think a lot of people were kind of whiplashed by that. I think it's, it's aged incredibly well. And it's one of the last like motivated Russell Crowe performances before he went through that like 10 or 12 year stretch of being not great.
1: (laughs) Uh, What do you think of American gangster?
2: Uh, I think American gangster is fine. fine. It's not one of my, it's not one of my favorite Scott movies. I don't think the director's cut particularly improves it. I think as usual, the actors are, are quite good. Um, and there's a, I know like, I really like the interrogation scene where, where Denzel and Russell Crowe are essentially, uh, passing back and forth this cup of water, which is like a prop that serves as this, you know, balance of who's winning the, the dialogue between them. But, uh, it, it's, it's lesser Scott for me, but it's still, I mean, look, lesser Scott is still a movie that I think is, is very good and worth your time.
1: Is this the only Denzel Ridley combination or is there other ones that I'm forgetting?
2: I think it's the only time they've they've collaborated. I'm pulling up. I'm pulling (laughs) up the list now, and I think that's
1: yeah. Looking at it now, that's 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 it. It It appears that one Scott brother knew how to use the talents of one Denzel Washington better than the other one ever did. That's Uh, fair. It's it's interesting, if I do say so. Uh, We do need to just quickly say, at least I need to personally say, because we've had two chances to talk about this movie and we haven't yet, um, whether it be Harrison Ford or now with Ridley Scott. uh, You mentioned Quibbles with Blade Runner. I personally, to the many... Blade Runner fans out there, because I saw you you come in hot and heavy when we asked for your top five Ridley Scott films, when we asked for your top five uh, and Ford films. I personally just find it very boring. I did the full binge of all the cuts before 2049 came out, and it took me a month because I kept falling asleep during all of them. I find that movie wildly overrated. I find it wildly boring, and look certain things are just not for certain people and I, the cult around this movie I just don't understand it's it's not even like like Frank Nilakina, because I, <laughs> I think Blade Runner probably in quality is better than Frank but like this movie is not worth the attention that it gets is my point like Blade Runner is like Tim Tebow at a certain point like incredible college player like I I could see some greatness there but like stack it up against some of the other greats and it's like what are we doing I, I just personally I don't see it I never have seen it. I don't think I ever will see it
2: next year is the 40th anniversary so get ready for our very negative final review yeah
0: can't wait I'll have my caffeine ready Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Hey, Ripley. Right here. We're clean. Let us in. What happened to Kane? Something has attached itself to him. We have to get him to the infirmary right away.
0: What kind of thing? I need a clear definition. An organism. Open the hatch. Wait a minute. If we let it in, the ship could be infected. You know the quarantine procedures.
3: 24 hours for decontamination. We could die in 24 hours. Open the hatch. Listen to me. If we break quarantine, we could all die. Look, could you open the goddamn hatch? We have to get him inside. No. I
2: can't do
3: that, and if you were in my position, you'd do the same.
2: Ripley, this is an order. Open that hatch right now. Do you hear me?
1: Yes. Ripley, this is in order! Do you hear me? Yes. I read you. The answer is negative. In the hot Next up is Alien, a top five Sigourney Weaver performance. Now, again, this would have worked perfectly if we went from Halloween and Laurie Strode to Alien and Ellen Ripley, because she does end up being a final girl in this. But this franchise and what she's meant to it, and really what it did for her as an action star in the pantheon of female action leads it's like ellen ripley uh, sarah connor pam greer uh, if you want to stretch it and go trinity in the matrix or princess leia or, or kiddo in the tarantino movies furiosa is up there for me what does the pantheon look like for you oz
2: are we talking uh, in terms of performers or the characters? Character, yeah, the action lead. I think that if we're talking in terms of characters, then I think the the unquestionable top two are Sarah Connor and Ellen Ripley, and I I would go with I would go with Ripley as the the top dog here, and then you have a whole bunch of others who are either. Pretty good badasses in in bad movies, which is kind of like the Resident Evil and Underworld side of the coin, where those are you know kind of interesting. And then you you have like the superhero side of it, where you get ScarJo as Black Widow and Godot and a couple of others. Uh, I. I'm inclined to give a, 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 some some support to the more physical performances, and I, I really, you know, the Charlize Theron in in Mad Max is fucking great. Uh, I, I just I'm I'm drawn to the more physical performances as opposed to to the superhero CGI bullshit.
1: Well, it's why I'm curious to see where you put the two alien entries, because like, spoiler alert, there's clearly going to be. Another alien movie that is on this list for Sigourney Weaver. The one that turned her into an action star. Uh, But then there's this movie, which... I struggled with with how high or how low to put it on her list because she's part of an ensemble. This really isn't her movie just yet. The ending, the last third of the movie is, but she's one of the team on the Nostromo. She's up there with Ash for as far as importance goes until the last third, Um, but... Ellen Ripley is what she's known for. Specifically, as I start my list, in Aliens, when she becomes the badass that tells the alien, get away from her, you bitch, and the crowd goes wild. Um, One of the greatest action movies of all time, one of the greatest action movie performances of all time, Ellen Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver, in Aliens, my number one. My number two is also not Alien. Look, if you are a fan of the MCU, a fan of Star Trek, a fan of the Comic-Con era in the lore of geek culture, in the possibility that all of it could be real and the captain of your favorite TV show's spaceship will call you one day and tell you it's all real... (laughs) please see Galaxy Quest if you've never seen it it's one of my favorite movies ever specifically in like the sci-fi comedy genre she plays Gwen DeMarco who on the show is Tanya Madison and it's a satire on all of the uh, ridiculous things that women in these shows have to do and wear Uh, and she plays it so effectively and uh, man that movie while it can be looked at as mockery mockery is really more of a love letter to this entire genre so galaxy quest is my number two aliens my number three really for the last third of this movie which she is very effective in as you know the final girl in the horror part of this movie while also being like the first one to pick up on the fact that ash should not be trusted so uh aliens my number three my number four is a movie called Dave, the uh, Kevin Klein movie from 1993. Ironically, a movie in year two of the Clinton administration about the president being an adulterer. Um, the, uh, she plays the first lady who has to fall in love with the man who or at least convince everybody that she's married to the man that is pretending to be her husband, but then ends up falling in love with the man that pretends to be her husband. It's just a very cute rom-com. I think if you haven't seen it, you'll enjoy it. And then at number five, I mentioned when we did Goodfellas that I was leaving my Ray Liotta number five blank because I thought many saints of Newark would take that spot. You saw it? It didn't. Hey, that's half of a really good performance. But then I remembered a movie when researching for for this for this pod that absolutely takes my number five spot. Um, and it's Ray Liotta and Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sigourney Weaver in a movie called Heartbreakers from two thousand one. Uh, man, just a really fun. A comedy of a mother daughter movie to the premise is that Sigourney Weaver and Jennifer Love Hewitt are a mother daughter tag team con artist duo where Weaver will pretend to, well, will marry somebody that's wealthy. And then six months in Sigourney Weaver will walk in on her new husband, having an affair with the young assistant played by Jennifer Love Hewitt, who she is not supposed to know. And she'll then be heartbroken and distraught and leave. And they after she divorces and takes the guy for half of everything, that is the con. They just do this all over the America, all over the world, and it's just a really fun movie with a lot of heart. Um, so, yeah, those are my top five Sigourney Weaver performances. Us,
2: your top five are? So, generally, I try to differentiate so that I don't pick Two of the two performances in the same franchise. So I I don't I don't want to have to use last week's episode. I try to avoid using uh, the Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine both in Logan and Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine in X-Men Days of Future Past. I want to vary it up. Here, I think the performances are so significantly different that it's okay. So my top dog, for the reasons you stated, is going to be Aliens, the James Cameron film, where I think she has a little more to do than in Alien. I think it is just, uh, it is a splendid, it's aged magnificently as well, action film it is this sort of I I think it's like a core text of modern action cinema it's great and she is fantastic in it and just an absolute badass Ellie in the 1979 movie that we're here discussing today will be my number two for Weaver which is I think it's a fantastic performance it is it is an upmarket version of every final girl performance ever with a little bit more beneath the surface Uh, I think it's very good work My number three is a movie called Gorillas in the Mist. Uh, it is directed by Michael Apted, who I think passed away earlier this year. He's, uh, well-known for a series of documentaries that follow the lives of folks as they grow up in the UK. He also directed a fairly shitty Bond movie, but, uh, it's a movie basically about a woman who goes to Rwanda to study and work with gorillas. It, it is perhaps not a great movie, but it is a very, very strong performance at the heart of it. Uh, my number four for all the reasons you said and even more is galaxy quest uh she is so funny in galaxy quest She she taps into this gear of comedy that I, I didn't realize she had in her she's playing a character who had been the sex pot on the show once upon a time and now needs now needs sort of something to do as the because the premise i don't even know if we covered this the premise is that it's as though Star Trek were real and all the actors are called into duty to play their real-life Star Trekness stuff. <laughs> but uh, she's amazing. She's funny. And that movie, if you've not seen it, I I would strongly, strongly recommend. I don't I don't know if we'll get to it because it didn't make a lot of money and it wasn't nominated for any Oscars, but it is a... This it is may a,
1: be the only time we show Galaxy Quest love,
2: unfortunately. The, it, this is a really, really good movie. Hey, maybe we'll get to Tim Allen if we do a certain Pixar franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally I uh, apologize for selecting this movie it's like a it's like a smorgasbord of things that we're not supposed to talk about anymore in film (laughs) circles. Uh, I really like the director Peter Weir. Uh, You probably best know him for Master and Commander. He came up on our discussion of Harrison Ford on the Raiders of the Lost Ark podcast. I think he's a wonderful director who gets great performances from actors. And he made a movie about a journalist in Indonesia in the mid-60s during the political uprising and coups that were happening then. Uh, And Sigourney Weaver is excellent as the love interest of the lead in that movie. But this is a movie that is telling Southeast Asian history from a white perspective. That white perspective is Mel Gibson. Uh, and that move, the movie also won an Academy award for best supporting actress. Only that award went to a white woman, a straight white woman who was playing uh, an Asian man. There's just a, a lot of <laughs> things about this movie that, you know, would would not exist in a movie made in 2021, but it is a very good performance in a movie that I good luck finding.
1: Real quick, you didn't say the name of the movie.
2: Oh, I didn't say it. The Year of Living Dangerously. The Year of <laughs> Living <Dangerously. laughs> that, That's an important <laughs> thing to throw in there. Uh, let
1: 1982 was an interesting year. That's, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> was, was the It was the 80s, as Oz has pointed out many a time. Yeah.
2: I, I, I tried to track down a movie called Eyewitness of hers that I've never seen, which I've heard she's good in, but I, I failed. Uh, she's also good in... Uh, a movie called A Monster Calls about a kid sort of grappling with a lot of emotional things. Um, Felicity Jones is in it. Uh, she plays the grandmother of the main little kid. It's very, very good touching performance. She's good in a film called The Ice Storm. About, mm, I was wondering uh, if
1: The Ice Storm would get mentioned.
2: <laughs> yeah, about sort of uh, the uh, interplay emotional, sexual between uh, couples that live near one another. Uh, I like her in Ghostbusters, but there's just not Enough of stuff for her to do in that movie for me to seriously consider it. You
1: undersold the Ice Storm,
2: by the way. I you tried to make it sound it.
1: prestigious, but it, it's the suburban swinging movie. That's what the it, Ice yeah. Storm is. Okay, it's pretty trashy. That's the elevator pitch. Is <laughs> that they live in Long Island and they fuck? Is what
3: the Ice <laughs> Storm is. Once it got down his throat, I would suggest it's feeding him oxygen, paralyzes him, puts him in a coma. And keeps him alive. Now, what the hell is that? Well, we got to get it off him. And- Just a minute. Just a minute. I mean, let's not be too hasty. We don't know anything about it. Now, we're assuming it's feeding him oxygen. If we remove it, it could kill him. I won't even take that chance. Let's cut it off him, uh- You take responsibility. Yes, yes, I'll take responsibility. Get him out of it.
1: Next up... Is Alien a top five Ian Holm performance? This is going to be fascinating because the Ash is a Robot twist is so effective. And the overall message is that it turns out these big tech corporations don't have our best interests in mind when they're trying to do things specifically in outer space. It's almost as if... in If this movie came out in 2021, that Wayland yutani could be a metaphor for Amazon. The last time I made this joke, our recording of this podcast went missing. So we'll see what happens here. Uh, Having said all of that, the twist of, or I guess the reveal of of Ian Holm as Ash being a robot is so effective. Even watching it today and picking up on all the clues... um, you know, he's the one that always is protecting the alien. That suggests that we uh, don't kill it. Like even in the moment of the chest burst, where he's like, "No, no, no, don't kill it," and lets it be, knowing that like that's his mission. And it, it's just so effective when you you pa- pick up on all these things the second time. Um, how effective was it for you the first time you saw this movie?
2: Yeah, I, I I think I came into this movie when I saw it the first time already knowing. Because I knew about the the ash thing because it's mentioned in Aliens so much, and I saw Aliens just on repeat. It makes sense. I yeah, little. I think I, I there was a shitty little video store down the street from us where I probably rented Aliens like twenty times. But um, I, I I I always knew, but I totally agree. It's it's a really effective twist, and I think a, a really compelling performance and i think the the pivot in when the reveal happens and the way home sort of ratchets up the the intensity is is really good stuff and doesn't ever go over the edge into the full-on scenery chewing that i detest
1: (laughs) uh yeah he's uh he plays it really well, and it's it's subtle at first, and then as you keep going, you realize that there's there's something up with him, and then the reveal it's just done really really perfectly. Um, Oz, your top five
2: Ian Holm performances. So I I like Ian Holm, but I and part of this is a is an age thing that I, I am the age that I am and have seen the things that I have, which I think is uh, a lot more than most 36 year olds, but there's a lot of stuff early in his career that I, I simply have not seen. So it's hard for me to opine on. So I'm going to have a bit of a recency bias here, but my top dog is the movie that you always raise the test of what will be the the role they show at the Oscars in your in memoriam thing. And his is going to be Bilbo Baggins. And Thus, for me, Ian Holm, uh, Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring will be my first choice. Someone needs to do the lifting to get audiences to buy in to this ridiculous world. And I think we've seen with Dune, where it kind of takes 40 minutes to get going, and Eternals, where there's an argument it takes about an hour to get going. <laughs> um It's hard. It's a really hard lift to get people to to buy into these long, strange, nerdy-as-fuck worlds from minute one. And I think Ian Holm and his performance as Bilbo is so integral to everything that works about that series and the world-building of that series and the the fact that it feels so vibrant and alive. So for me, Bilbo Baggins will be my number one performance. Uh, my number two for Holm is going to be The Fifth Element. Oh, The Fifth Element is great. The Luc Besson sci-fi movie where we have a still-motivated Bruce Willis protecting an alien god MacGuffin woman played by Mila Jovovich. Uh, This movie is so much fun. I'm sorry that Luc Besson has turned out to be a very bad guy, but this movie is absolutely incredible. I would strongly recommend it. It is so energetically made, and he is absolutely hilarious as the sort of Religious zealot believer in all the sci fi gobbledygook that's going on. But it's just, it's treated, all the bullshit of this movie is treated in the best sort of comedic, dismissive way that it creates just this absurd tone. In a lot of ways, it's actually making fun of all the dumbest shit in Blade Runner. Uh, and and kind of spoofing on that and having a great time of it. I love this movie. It's great. Number three for me is Alien, for all the reasons we've mentioned. It's a chilling performance. Uh, he's great in it. And there's just so many visuals, too. The way he uses his eyes in this performance is really, really special. Four uh, is a movie that is very strange, but I would strongly recommend if you haven't seen. It's called Brazil from the director Terry Gilliam. He plays the boss of the main character in the film. It is kind of a smaller, kind of a smaller role, but he does a, a wonderful job of uh, torturing, I guess, the uh, the Jonathan Price character. So I, I I think it's definitely worth tracking down. And fifth place for me is going to be a film called The Sweet Hereafter, which is uh, an Atom and film. film. Um, about a lawyer who goes to a town to investigate a bus crash. A bus has a school bus has driven into a river, and he goes to investigate it and uh, sort of recruit clients. It's not the sort of I don't know a civil action style, uh, just mercy style, uplifting legal thing. It's sort of a, a dank, miserable film about tortured people dealing with grief and loss and he's quite wonderful in it so that's my that's my top five
1: so we have the same top three and i think they're a pretty clear top three he's bilbo baggins in lord of the rings which as you mentioned will be his in memoriam role although the oscar did he pass away before the last oscars I think he, if he didn't, then I wonder if it was his in
2: memoriam role. Oh if, shit! We should—that's I, we I should, had forgotten that he. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up right you now. Look it up I it up. So
1: I wonder if that, in my opinion, that should be if it wasn't his, uh, his his in memoriam role. Um, having said that, when I think of Ian Holm, I think of Bilbo Baggins, and I specifically uh, think of the scene of him talking to Gandalf at the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring, where he's is uh, having. Uh, questions of whether or not to part with the ring and then the farewell that he gives, which hits so much harder now that he's passed. Um, My number two is Fifth Element, as you mentioned. Um, And then my number three is Alien, as you mentioned. My number four and number five are different, though. Uh, My number four is The Day After Tomorrow. Um, There was a stretch in the 2000s where we just wanted to destroy the world in the movies and... Uh, I don't know if this was just 9-11 happened and everybody wanted to recreate that on screen. But New York seemed to be a topic of uh, of all directors imagination that we're just going to have this disaster movie happen and it's going to destroy New York first and then work its way across the country. Don't know how that would work because I think all the weather comes from the West, but I digress. Look at you trying to analyze
2: the science of the day after tomorrow. Listen,
1: I'm d- analyzing the science of the genre of destroying New York movies. There's a genre we can do one day. Like when we do escape from New York,
2: oh, we have to New we York have to destruction. Movie. Movies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, he's the, the scientist that discovers the weather event that's happening. And he plays the, He, like, with some pretty, like, cheesy material, he plays it convincingly that, oh, shit, like, I think I in that scene, I was like, yo, this is happening. I actually think, like, this weather event of three uh, hurricanes are converging together to create one gigantic storm is actually going to happen. And then my number four, uh, excuse me, my number five is a movie that somehow has become polarizing of whether it's good or not. But Garden State is good. Right? Garden State is good. Good. We're allowed to say that. He plays uh We can make we can make fun of it deservedly, but it's good. Fine, but like he plays the Andrew's father, the, the psychologist in this movie. I think it's just like super effective as as what he has to do uh in Andrew's life, what he means in Andrew's life, and just like as a grieving father also is also pretty effective. A grieving husband, I should say, is pretty effective in that movie. Um so those are my top five. I admittedly unless we're counting like all the Lord of the Rings as multiple movies. <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of Ian Holm, but the only honorable mention I have is he's the, the running coach uh, in Chariots of Fire, which you mentioned you ran track. So I'm assuming Chariots of Fire ranks high for you. I'm wondering, where does that performance rank for you? Chariots of
2: Fire is a, uh, it, it's a movie that feels it feels very long. It's, it's in not a bad movie, but when
1: we did 81 for Raiders oh, of the yeah, Lost yeah. Ark, it yeah. didn't
2: rank for you. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's not bad, but it's, it is, it is, it feels like distance running. Um, and that, that is, I guess praise, but also it's meant to some damnation and he's good in it, but I, I don't love that movie. I, I agree about Garden State. I think he's good in it. Uh, there's a movie I should point out called Naked Lunch. It's a Cronenberg movie that he's supposed to be quite good in that I've not seen, but that is one that could potentially be on a future Ian Holm revision and to spot check us. Uh, now, granted, they used a lot of production stills and things not from movies in last year's very bad Oscar ceremony. Uh <laughs> But the uh, the answer is that they used Ash from Alien in the picture.
1: Did they really? Mm-hmm. Wow. that is That just I think adds to the legacy of that Oscars now. I, I'm, they I'm, got I'm the very surprised. And yeah. they, well, I mean, when you think about how last year's Oscars went, it actually makes sense about the yeah. wrong movie for Bill Bull Baggins.
3: Maybe I've jeopardized the rest of us, but it was a risk I was willing to take. It's a pretty big risk
1: for a science officer. It's uh, not exactly out of the manual, is it?
3: I do take my responsibilities as seriously as you, you know. You do your job. and Let me do mine. Yes.
1: Next up, is Alien a top five John Hurt performance? The Kane Chesper scene, your reaction when you first saw it. First of all, you knew it was
2: coming because of the other movies, right? I, I knew it was coming. It, it was in just totally ingrained in me. So uh, I... I knew it was coming. I knew it was a thing that existed. I honestly have no independent recollection because again, I saw the stuff when I was like five. I have no recollection as to if I first saw it in Alien or if I first experienced it kind of elsewhere and it was like pop cultured into me, even from stuff like spaceballs. So uh, I don't I don't know the answer to that question sitting here now, except to say that that scene is fucking incredible. Even today it it has aged gloriously. And Hurt is so committed to to the bit that he's still there like after the alien is like out of his chest and looking around. He's still like twitching his hands. So good. It's so good. As far as the chess bar scene is concerned, um to this day, when I watch it, I'm
1: affected. Like, I know it's coming and it's like, yo, that came out of his chest. Yeah. And it's still it's still like, oh, holy shit, this actually happened, which it like matches the first time I saw it as well. Um, he follows a prototype in a lot of these movies. And it's curious white person where the reason something <laughs> went wrong is that white people went to investigate what was going on. And I'm just saying this now as a friend, as my friend Oz. If by my own stupid curiosity, I get in a face hugger attached to my face, God's plan for my life has been seen through. I I don't (laughs) have a chance of coming back. You don't need to break protocol for quarantine. My own stupidity got me in this mess. Leave me be. The destiny of my life has been fulfilled. You, You can go on without me. I'm granting you that right now.
2: We've long established that you're the baby face and I'm the heel on this podcast. So I will, I will happily leave you to die with your burster.
1: That's the thing you, I didn't even have to offer. It was already on the desk. It was already <laughs> going to be your plan. You would definitely be Ripley. be like, listen, he made himself a choice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 listen, we're, we're going home without him or his friend. Okay. Uh, My top five John Hurt performances. My number one is one of his two Academy Award nominations. It's the role, outside of Ash, to be honest, that he's most known for, and that's uh, The Elephant Man. Um, The 1980 David Lynch film about uh, John Merrick, who in real life was Joseph Merrick, known as The Elephant Man. He plays opposite Anthony Hopkins in this movie. Quite literally a story about judging a book by its cover and seeing uh, people for who they are deep down. It says a little bit about the entertainment industry and, you know, how we treat performers. Uh, It's some meta commentary there. I think is ahead of its time as well. Um, Very effective in that movie. I saw that movie at a very young age. I think it's, it's honestly educational to an extent. My number two is also one for the heart. Um, I will not be allowed to uh, go home tonight or stay at my home tonight whenever my girlfriend hears this, whenever my mom hears this, if uh, Garrick Ollivander is not my number two. I actually went to Disney uh, in, so when I was turning 30, so about a couple of years ago. And I thought we were going there as a family because Andrew was turning 30. And little did I know it was solely so my mom could go to Diagon Alley at Universal Studios and get herself a wand from Ollivander's shop. <laughs> uh, but having said all that, the the uh, moments in Sorcerer's Stone, specifically in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, where... Uh, Harry hears about uh, the brother of uh, his wand is the person that belongs to the person that gave him that scar. Uh, That is a menacing scene in very early on in Harry Potter that sets the tone for the rest of that franchise. My number three is V for Vendetta, a movie I rewatched during quarantine, and oh boy, did it hit differently. Seeing uh, the response to a totalitarian government, he plays one of the chancellors, and most of it is on. A large screen but oh boy is is he a perfect juxtaposition against the the mask that becomes like the face of v for vendetta um he plays chancellor adam sutler and is pretty much the voice of the revolution which is quite effective my number four is quite the opposite of his performance in v for vendetta um when i was in high school i was shown 1984 and it was given to me by uh a a very I, i don't want to bring politics into this i was basically shown this as a warning for uh free thought and free speech and it's very clear why this movie and that book gets adopted by either political side as a way to think and a a the thought police as you would. Uh, I will just say watching it as an adult, John Hurt's performance is really good. And the conflict that he goes through and the angst that he has to live with, with his inner thoughts that he's writing down and that you're hearing that no one else is able to hear it. It's, it's a very strong performance in a very complicated book. And then my number five. So the chest burst scene. The first time I ever saw it was not in Alien. It was in Spaceballs. So, (laughs) technically... While my number 5 I will put as Alien, it's 5A because 5B is when he reprises the role in Spaceballs, when he's at the, the counter, at the, the the diner in the sky, uh, and he, he's at the the bar top and redoes the scene of the chest burst and says, Not again! And being able to be in on the joke is, is just bravo when actors do that. So, um, while again, Alien's my number 5, but technically it's because Spaceballs is my number five um oz your top five
2: oz your top five john hurt performances uh all right so my number one i agree with you actually it's it's david lynch's elephant man it's a fantastic performance it's it's very iconic Uh, it's a great film i'll say it it's i i'm boy i'm gonna i'm gonna uh burn my uh criteria nerd bona fide here i'm not a huge david lynch ah, fan well that makes two of us don't worry but uh but uh, i think i like the elephant man in part because it's one of david lynch's least david lynch <laughs> movies <laughs> so i really i like elephant man i like mulholland drive but there's a lot of david lynch that's you know no no inland empire happening for me okay Uh, My number two is a film that is one of the most legendary flops in film history, which is a movie called *Heaven's Gate*. It is about a couple. It's about it's (laughs) yet another. This is yet another one that is a Criterion Collection release. Uh, It follows two young um, graduates of Harvard University, as they played by Hurt and by Chris Christopherson, who move out west in the late 1800s, 1870s or 1880s to try to make their way in the world. And it's sort of a fascinating movie from a production perspective. The studio, this is a Michael Chimino movie coming off of the best picture winning success of a movie we talked about a little bit on the Halloween pod, The Deer Hunter. Uh, And was sort of given carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. And he made a movie that there are all sorts of reports and versions about how long it was. But in essence, he made a four hour movie and the studio was like, what the fuck are we going to do with this? (laughs) And they took it away from him. They chopped it up. There were all sorts of concessions back and forth. And when the movie was finally released, it flopped catastrophically. You know, like a $45 million budget on a movie today is not a large budget, but a $45 million budget on a movie uh, produced in the late seventies and releasing in like 1980 is an astronomical budget. And this thing made like $3 million. Can I give a comp?
1: Because I've been doing, I this came up recently with Chloe Zhao going from Nomadland to then Eternals potentially being a flop, but I think the actual accurate comp to this is if um, Tom Hooper. Had released uh, the King's Speech, (laughs) and then the very next year was given carte blanche to do Cats. And then, Cats being the uh, astronomical flop that it was, um, then completely ruined his career. The director of Heaven's Gate, um, Michael Cimino, like his career completely. It feels like completely ended after this. You've yep. never recovered from this type of flop.
2: Um you know, actually a uh, comp in Ridley Scott's own filmography is Kingdom of Heaven, where the studio took away mm. the version that he wanted to do, released their own thing, it flopped miserably, and then eventually the real version came out and it's been reevaluated as something quite masterful. But uh leaving aside that no one's ever going to watch the four-hour movies that we recommend in here on here, uh, Heaven's Gate is, is really quite good and it's something that deserves consideration. I know I mentioned it in passing on our our mob and gangster movies discussion on goodfellas but it's definitely worth watching if that is your your filmic interests three for me is alien i think it's great i think he sells the hell out of this i think the commitment of these actors that that the audience comes in with a relationship with home hurt and Scarrett in particular to this shit is part of what elevates it and you can see if you throw on like a early 2000s comic book movie you can see the actors are like I sure hope the check cleared before I stepped onto (laughs) set today, as opposed to now, look, we we both came out relatively positive on Eternals, but you you can't say the folks who are making it aren't committed to it. Everyone is trying, everyone's trying to elevate this stuff. Even a big star like Jolie is giving a committed, engaged performance. Uh, And it's alien where you start to see like 2001 genre movies with real committed work. And I think his commitment to this, could-be-stupid part is so integral to why it works so effectively. Uh, fourth for me is The Proposition, which is a just ridiculously violent Australian Western by the director John Hillcote, who went on to make The Road with Viggo Mortensen, which at least had some footprint in the US. It stars uh, Guy Pearce and Danny Houston, who are outlaw brothers. And uh, he, Hurt, plays a bounty hunter who's chasing them in a particularly... Uh, chilling and unnerving performance Uh, i would really recommend tracking down this movie it is fucking bonkers uh and fifth for me is another movie that is fucking bonkers and is super depressing and we talked about on one of our earlier episodes and that's lars von trier's melancholia which is a movie and uh, i guess technically (laughs) a sci-fi movie but really an allegory for for mental health Mm -hmm. uh, about a world called melancholia which is going to crash into earth and end all life on the planet. It stars a, a bunch of famous people in it, Charlotte Rampling and Kirsten Dunst and Kiefer Sutherland. And he, the movie is premised around a wedding that's happening right before the sort of melancholia collision Happens, and he plays the father of the bride and gives this utter, just utterly batshit wedding speech. It's a really, it's a really good, memorable performance. And uh, I, my, the honorable mention I would like to shout out here is I like all of the things you mentioned. Uh, I would like to shout out uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, where he Bingo. plays control. He plays, yep, he plays control, who's sort of the head of the spy branch. I think it's a very, very good performance. It's just not a long enough performance to. To make it on here for me
1: yeah he's barely in it but he's arguably the most effective for me you know yep um and then i guess by default my honorable mention will be the only one i we haven't mentioned yet and i like his in the del toro hellboy in 04 i like professor yeah. trevor broom uh i propositions on my shamefully haven't seen unfortunately but shout out to john Hurt.
0: look i just run the ship Anything that has to do with the science division, Ash has the final word. How does
3: that happen?
0: It happens, my dear, because that's what the company wants to happen. Since when is that standard procedure? Standard procedure is to do what the hell they tell you to do. Did you ever ship out with Ash before? I went out five times
3: with another science officer. They replaced him two days before we left Thetis with Ash. Hmm? I don't trust him. I don't trust anybody.
1: Next up, we finally get to do it, us! Does Alien have a top five production design in a film? Now, I first ask this of the film buff in front of me. uh, What do you look for in production
2: design? What usually catches your eye? So I'll say there's a more particularized definition of this that we're not using, which is the Academy Award definition, which largely has to do with sort of sets and locations and how those are designed. And and that's fine. but. I think we're using a broader thing which kind of incorporates the film's visual aesthetic the way the sets look the colors the costumes the hair the makeup the everything on the sets you know you think of like a wes anderson movie as a movie that has intense production design everywhere on the scene it's clear that every little corner every book on every shelf has been very particularly thought out uh so for me i i i'm drawn often to movies whose production design is so intense and effective that it leads to other films that come to look an awful lot like the originators do. And I think that Alien, not not just for not just for the design of the ship, which is incredible, not just for the design of the alien, which is incredible. It's this whole sort of smorgasbord, how it all comes together is really, really cool. Even the, whatever the fuck they call them in Prometheus, the thing in the bed, the originator creature thing. uh, Even that, it's just set off in this here is this thing that's out there in the world it, it doesn't require the sort of over explanation that the mcuification of film has given us where everything needs to have a fucking wikipedia page 10 minutes after the movie's released it's one of the reasons prometheus is not my favorite um <laughs> it's just it's really i just I, I i cannot get over how effective the design of the world is everything from the the leatheriness of the alien eggs all the way, all the way through. Even like the the slight raggediness to the space cat makes so much sense of of how this world is designed and of the the clear aesthetic mindset behind it. So to dive into the top five, uh, so I did mine off the cuff and came up with seven. Finalists. And then I went and did the exact same thing and went through the Wikipedia lists of everything that's ever been nominated and then Googled some other charts. And, you know, I was happy with my my top seven. For whatever reason, these are the movies that have really, really embedded themselves in my mind for what is incredible production design. And I, I'll, I'm going to go slightly out of order here. I already praised the hell out of Alien. It's great, but it's my number two. Okay. Uh, my number one is a film that I, I think is in every aspect of its design masterful. I think it is beautiful and scary. I think it is it is even emotive and emotional. I think the creature effects at play are fantastic. I think the makeup serves the plot in a really compelling way. I think the sets are utterly transportive. My number one is Pan's Labyrinth, the Guillermo del Toro fantasy film. Uh my number three, Alien is two, my number three, I, I wanted to pick a kurosawa movie. I think that the language of cinema, I mean you don't have Star Wars without Kurosawa. If you watch the Ahsoka Tano Rosario Dawson episode of The Mandalorian from last year, that is like shot for shot stolen or homaging The Hidden Fortress and other Kurosawa movies. Uh I'm going to go though with the one that's probably the most iconic, the one that probably puts that sort of visual element into the forefront and say the seven samurai number four for me we're going to go back to ridley scott we've already nuked the movie a little bit but we i think can both agree that the production design is incredible and something that we still see every time we go to the movies hell we just did logan last week and logan is directly inspired in visual landscape in a lot of ways by blade runner which is my number four and My number five is a movie which is good. Fuck you if you disagree. I actually think it's back on Netflix now. (laughs) Uh, No, it's another movie. It's a movie that is, I think, unfairly lampooned for the things that it isn't instead of praised for what it is. It is one of the most sumptuous, well made epics of all time. It has incredible action, it has great lead performances, uh, and a love story that, while somewhat hokey, is also somewhat touching. And that is Titanic.
1: Who the fuck we- hates Titanic?
2: Oh, so many people hate Titanic. I
1: hate them. What are you don't talking ever, about?
2: It, it's got like a Forrest Gump vibe. To what? It. Yeah, a lot of people hate Titanic.
1: Titanic's my number one. So there, t- we, t- we'll just start there. What the? Titanic, f- are you kidding? Titanic me? is great. No, I'm not kidding you. T- <laughs> what? What?
2: Uh, I'm. I don't remember us talking about this the first time. This is a thing. I don't think I set it up the same way, but it is. It is. Uh yeah, there's it's a thing. It's like maybe it's a film Twitter thing. And yeah, it's, it's a, like, is this a it's, it's, it's criterion like people thing. Hating James Cameron is definitely a, a
1: criterion oh, people thing. Oh you weirdos are why the movies are gonna keep closing. <laughs> Goodness. Okay. Uh, yeah, Titanic's, T- Titanic's my number awesome. one.
2: Um, take it away. You you it's your number one. You you sing the praise. They
1: recreated the sipping of a gigantic boat. I uh, I felt like I was on that boat for two and a half hours. I felt like I sunk with that boat at the end of that movie. <laughs> Listen, we're doing Titanic one day because it's one of the greatest movies ever, first of all. Like, the moment that the iceberg crash happens, you know it hits the iceberg. It's it's history, right? Yet, the way Cameron directs it and the way that the ship is, like, slowly slanting to the left, even you, upon many a rewatch are thinking, all right, maybe this time it'll miss it. Maybe if he just keeps (laughs) turning to the left, okay. Now, like, okay, maybe only three compartments will fill with water and they'll survive. No, it's filmed so perfectly. The attention to detail by Cameron is masterfully done. Yeah, if you don't like Titanic, I think that might be on a list of things where I need to vet you in order to know if if we'll be friends. Exactly. (laughs) Titanic, my number one. Um, my number two comes from being a broadcast journalism major um, and some that's like worked in a newsroom before all the president's men recreating the Washington Post uh, in the 1970s. Uh, it is extremely accurate to what a newsroom will look like. It's specifically what that Washington Post newsroom looked like and how your editor will be like three seats down, but then your copywriter will be two other seats down. And all of the different elements of the newsroom happening where someone will be writing. It's not like today where we're all at home writing online because everything's on the internet. Um, like your sports will be in the same row as like your legal crime. And you could have somebody writing a story about the president potentially committing impeachable crimes across from somebody talking about the summer of Sam in 1977. Um, yeah, that movie, is, that movie is pretty incredible. And the production design is, is pretty on point my number 3 is alien. Uh it, everything that you mentioned I think um when I think of a spaceship I think of the Nostromo before any others because of how this movie in particular uses it in its horror elements the the elevate the the, the shoots where the where Dallas ends up dying um I forget the character's name, but the entire sequence when we first see the full grown uh xenomorph. Um oh, yeah. That entire sequence where he's exploring the ship looking for the cat, and then it's all it's silent, so you don't really hear the score as much, which just adds to the the chilling nature where you're like you're shielding yourself because you know something's about to pop out, and then it eventually does. Um it's extremely admirable. But number four. Is Saving Private Ryan, um, while after the first 40 minutes, it can look like every other war movie or World War II movie, the recreation of Normandy is how I imagine that happens. Steven Spielberg, I think, literally recreated history with uh, his attention to detail there and I, man look the the intensity of that first 40 minutes i hope it's not popular to hate on those first 40 minutes cuz i think it's some of the the best in film history and then again i want to live where i'm currently living harry potter and the sorcerer's stone i had to put a recreate uh, the creation of hogwarts and actually visualizing what this school and what this really this this dormitory would look like uh, I think is pretty impeccable. Um, so those are my top five. And there's a plethora of other ones that we haven't mentioned. Uh, go ahead with a couple of yours.
2: Yeah, I think Harry Potter is a good call. I, I actually might look towards one of the sequels where they expand the world out a little bit that that it's probably a hair better and maybe Prisoner of Azkaban or Order Eel. of the Phoenix. A, but a, a Harry Potter is more where I was going with that. But um, I, I the two others that I mentioned are, one is sort of a, a an all-time classic in this field and that's Gone with the Wind which I think for, for bringing that era to life the way it does, that sort of vividness of design, I, I think it's really, really impressive. Uh, and the other one that comes to mind for me is a more modern movie that kind of brings us back to a very particular era in a very effective way, um, and with a little bit less, or at least undercutting the glitz that some other movies may depict that same era with, and that is The Aviator which I think is just it's just immaculate in design for, for so much about Hollywood and, and really even Washington, D.C. There's just so much of it that's brought to life so vibrantly. I, I think the Aviator is quite special.
3: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and
1: dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.
3: Oh god. Oh, god. Oh, no. Don't touch. Don't touch it. Don't Touch. It.
1: Next up. Is Alien a top five alien movie? Oz, what's your plan if aliens attack us?
2: Uh, well, we've already well established that I'm a selfish prick, so I will put my wife and kids uh, oh God. In, a, <laughs> in a car. And I will okay, run in away in a car. <laughs> I just wanted to hear that part. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I you thought you were going to the feed them. Uh, I thought
1: it'd be like you know, you'd put a big neon arrow outside, like get them first. You know, no,
2: I I'll sacrifice myself for them, and that's better. Okay, it. there you go. But uh, no, we'll we'll get in the car and we will drive very fast uh, uh, up into the woods in the north. I don't want to give away too much of the plan, but it, it's applicable equally to aliens or zombies. Doesn't matter. We're just gonna. Get the fuck away from civilization. Uh, go somewhere with minimal cell phone coverage. And honestly, that, that actually sounds kind of great now as I just say it aloud as a, as a plan <laughs> to do anyway. And just escape from the grind of it all. But uh, yeah, that, that would be my plan. What would you do? So
1: I said this last time, but as somebody that used to work at exporting goods and... Ooh is confident I could get in good with the people that would show up every Saturday morning to go get their gun license. Uh, I am <laughs> pretty sure the first place I go is to the nearest Dick Sporting Goods or Field and Stream Bass Pro Shops, a place that sells artillery is what i'm trying to say specifically dig sporting goods because then it also has a camping section so i could find a place to a little corner that i could live until the while we're hunkering down um i I am positive that I, i i would figure out a way to blend with
2: these people and be be okay so you'd you'd rock the maga hat that you have to to get to get in some. I'm the saying building. that in this okay.
1: scenario, right. America got invaded. So as a result, the hat's just a red hat with white letters. There is no America to make great <laughs> again. Uh, I'm just here making a fashion statement. It's funny though. I mentioned an invasion It's really not there in this movie. And so for me, I always associate alien movie with alien invasion. What do you think of when you think of an alien
2: movie? So I I consider it when. You know, something from outside of this world is the primary driver of the film that we're looking at. I think a lot of the alien movies, stuff like say Independence Day, are—they're not really about the aliens. There are no alien characters. The one that—that that, you know controls Data's mind is not exactly a, a character or a thing. Um, it, It's—I I almost think of that is more like a disaster movie. I don't think there's anything distinct about Independence Day from. 2012 or A Day After Tomorrow or Moonfall. I'm just listing Roland Emmerich movies now. (laughs) Nothing to say. (laughs) But uh, I I think that the, the alien as a driver for the character growth or discovery of the humans is kind of an important element of how I came up with my own list.
1: So maybe this is just how my brain works, but I'm unable to disassociate my top alien movies from the invasion. I, I That's always going to have to go hand in hand for me. I, I have a special place in my heart for the ETs, the arrivals, like the galaxy quests, obviously, but like, I just have a hard time believing that if intelligent life comes to this planet, they're going to negotiate or want to be part of our society. No, they're going to want to invade and get rid of the stupid humans and like take (laughs) our planet for resources. That is just what's going to happen when they get here. So my top five uh, reflects that, Um, which as we get into it, my number one the great american classic independence day starring uh, will smith and jeff goldblum uh, this even has what i'm talking about where the the part in la where the the ship is above the skyscraper and you have the dumb humans on top of the building with signs like saying welcome to our planet thinking that this is going to be at all peaceful the, the stupidity of this human race sometimes uh so, Independence Day, for all the reasons that are obvious, every single human, I'm pretty sure, has seen this as my number one. My number two, man, when we ever do a Tom Cruise pod, this will be up there for me. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow, um, Just again, a, a shout out to my girlfriend who hates Tom Cruise, yet loves this movie, because he dies over and over and over <laughs> again, the exploration of all three levels of alien in that movie is is pretty cool and that that movie is just, it's just a fun fun action movie and a fun rewatch my number three is also starring tom cruise the steven spielbook remake of war of the worlds uh That opening sequence when the alien ship and then what that alien ship can do is introduced uh, in New Jersey is just, wow. Uh, One of the more terrifying scenes in an alien movie. And how I imagine that would go if we all of a sudden found out that living beneath us or waiting beneath us were these spaceships that needed to be awoken to then come and invade us. My number four, I, I, I hesitate when I go to Mel Gibson, but here we are. Uh, I believe Signs is a very good movie, and I look what his character in that movie has to go through, the tragedy that that character feels, the loss of faith that he then regains throughout that movie uh, is just impactful for me and. Uh, you know, the jump scare that gets associated with that movie is Joaquin watching the news telecast at the birthday party. Uh, the jump scare that always caught me was when Mel Gibson is using the knife as a mirror and sees the thing under the door and then cuts the fingers off. That always got me. Uh, so that's my number four. And then my number five is some recency bias, but I will take all of A Quiet Place and as well as the first fifteen minutes of A Quiet Place too, uh, <laughs> you want to talk about theater experiences? I had to. I mean, I've I've told this story before. The first time I saw a Quiet Place, I didn't get the authentic one that everybody else got, where everybody in the theater was quiet. No, I had an entire row of Spring Breakers behind me that would not shut up. So I had to just try and enjoy the filmmaking elements, but. When you actually do get to rewatch it years later, it's pretty effective, and you know a masterful job by John Krasinski who I did not know had that in him. And then I, I just Quiet Place Two's first fifteen minutes are like. What you the angst that you feel in a quiet place one dialed up to ten, so that's my top five. Uh, Oz, your top five alien movies. Um,
2: all right, so my number one is going to be uh, Alien because it is great for all the reasons we've discussed, and you uh, are wrong to omit it here. I was gonna say, especially, 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 when, you I, like, especially when you don't like nice aliens, what right? Do you but the alien in this movie
1: is non existent. We talked about it throughout the beginning of the pod. This guy barely shows us the alien in this movie. I associate the rest of the franchise that actually makes it to Earth. Earth and invades as more of an alien movie this is a, a horror movie with uh, aliens in it if anything
2: when i think of an alien when i think of what an alien can look like there are two things the conventional little green man and the xenomorph that is how iconic that imagery is it is perfect it's actually kind of beautiful it is amazing amazing design it is instantly iconic every you put Independence state right at the top of your list What the hell do you think they got that weird mantle-shaped head from on those aliens? It is totally stolen from the Xenomorph. And they blow up the world, but they don't even make it to the world. They... That's actually like, six people on a ship. Um. All right. Well, tech, they take out Earth at the end of at the end of Alien Resurrection. So which,
1: if Alien Resurrection was on my list <laughs> and that would be different, Well, wouldn't it?
2: Um, all right. My number two, because I like cute and cuddly aliens is E.T., which is a masterful coming of age story of a boy and his pet alien. And that movie is great. And if you haven't seen it, you are insane. Uh. My number three <laughs> is the my favorite Denis Villeneuve movie, uh, which is Arrival. The uh, Alien, really, it's, it's more about figuring out how to communicate with aliens and also dealing with destiny and legacy and parenting and all sorts of other interesting thematic areas. It's easily Villeneuve's most human scale and human interested movie led by Amy Adams' best performance, maybe, maybe, to be discussed. But uh, yeah, it's up
1: there. to be discussed. It's up there for me, though.
2: Uh, my number four is another one that you dared malign, and that's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Which is, oh, uh,
1: it's, it's like six or i I'm not, I don't mean I'm a line. It's like right there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not you to defend it. But as far as Spielberg alien movies, I have others that I enjoy more.
2: I like friendly aliens evidently. So I like, I like the flashing lights and the mashed potatoes. And I think the I think Close Encounters is wonderful. Uh, my number five is, uh, this was also a flop in real time. It is a movie that I will unabashedly say is one of my favorites, though perhaps when it was first released, this was a a shameful take. It is the, oh boy, Casper Van Dien and Denise Richards starring... Sci-fi opus Starship Troopers from Shockmaster master Paul Verhoeven, who also directed Robocop and Benedetta, which comes out in a couple of weeks about that's the lesbian sexy nuns movie, um, which sounds like a trailer in the midst of Grindhouse or Tropic Thunder, but is actually a real thing. And if you watch the trailer, the movie is just that hilarious and ridiculous. But um, Starship Troopers is really great. It's a really interesting, smart allegory about fascism and how it impacts our society. The fact that the actors are bad is very clearly a purposeful choice in the movie. It's also, it's really, really funny. And I think it uses the aliens and the alien menace in a way that is quite interesting and prescient to our current times. uh, If you ever watch any Fox news coverage of the border. (laughs) So uh, yeah, I would strongly, strongly, strongly recommend Starship Troopers. I think it's, it's utterly masterful. I will admit that I have a, a bad, modernity bias here and later in the sci-fi category i just i just think that sci-fi leveled up in the 70s and it just it just became better so there was lots of stuff just to throw in some honorable mentions that i you know like invasion of the body snatchers is quite good mm-hmm. the day the, earth oh, stood still. Too, yeah. the day the earth stood still is good uh edge of tomorrow is wonderful um they just it just it just doesn't work for me as well as it perhaps should and maybe i'm just a luddite who's not Appreciating a 50 sci-fi enough, and the real honorable mention that I want to shout out, and the one that I I kind of wish I had included, but I'm I didn't, is the cartoon remake of ET called The Iron Giant, which is about a boy oh, wow. who finds an alien giant to be his friend, voiced by Vin Diesel. Uh, in a real warm-up for his role as Groot. Um, <laughs> perhaps his two strongest performances because he doesn't need to
1: speak. Hey, hey,
2: um, don't disrespect Dom Toretto like that, sir. Jennifer Aniston is in this movie too as the voice of the mom of the main kid. But I, I think Iron Giant is, is really, really good. It's Brad Bird who went on to make a bunch of great Pixar movies and the Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is the Burj Khalifa one. Uh, it, it's it's. Really, really good, and I kind of regret not putting it on, but we'll leave it as the honorable mention. It's a great call.
1: Unless somebody has got a better idea, we'll proceed with
3: Dallas' plan. What? And then don't blame the others? (laughs) No, you're out of your mind. You got
2: a better idea?
3: Yes. I say that we abandon the ship, we get the shuttle, and just get the hell out of here. We take our chances and just hope that somebody picks us up. The shuttle won't take four. Well then, why don't we draw straws? I'm not drawing these straws. I'm for killing that goddamn thing right now.
1: Okay, the '70s. We go to first of all, we go to 1979, and then we'll do the decade. Is Alien a top five film of 1979? Now you get to do this again, Oz. What were the top five highest-grossing films of
2: 1979? Fuck me. Uh, I really (laughs) should. I I don't know why. I I every week I know it's coming, and I just never ever. Prep and the I would best feel like to play It's the best it's, part of this I, bit. <laughs> I know the top one is Superman. Yes. And then I'm kind of lost. So, uh, no,
1: no, no. Super top, Superman was not the top highest grossing film in 1970. I think
2: that was 78, actually. Oh, is that a 78 bleed over one or something? Uh, yeah. Alien has got to be in the top five. Alien is top six. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, Alien is number six at 80 million. All right. So, this is the 70s. So, we have to think of uh, best picture winners. The best picture, I will say this,
1: the best picture winner for the 80 Oscars, the 1980 Oscars, yes. so this year 79, was the highest grossing film of this year. So it's uh, Apocalypse Now? Apocalypse Now is number four. Oh, uh, what, wait, what won this year? Is this Kramer? This is Kramer versus Kramer, $106 million. In the moment, 1979, the only movie to... Box office gross,
2: $100 million. Yeah, but like $35 million back then is $100 million today. Fine.
1: I'm saying in the moment, I, I was the only one to gross that. All right. And so there's, there's a horror movie and then a sequel. And then a horror movie, a sequel, and then a TV show turned regular movie. All right, so Star Trek is the last one. Star Trek The Motion Picture is number five, 82 million. Just beat out Alien by 2 million.
2: And now I'm I'm recalling from when we did this bit before that uh, it, the the local flavor for you, Amityville Horror, is up there. And I believe Rocky II is the sequel that you're having.
1: Rocky II is number three, and then Amityville Horror is number two. For someone who actually listens to podcasts about Box office analysis. I suck at this game. Which is why we're going to keep doing this game for the rest of time. Um, All right. Let's see what you got. Your top five films of 1979.
2: Number one unsurprisingly alien number two which is a masterpiece it's apocalypse now uh number three and this is the one that i'm just gonna cringe as i say it is manhattan (laughs) i was wondering if
1: you're gonna keep it
2: that (laughs)
3: which is the second
2: time i've had you heard that Hear you say that manhattan is your number three (laughs) yeah it's 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 my second favorite woody allen movie i don't think we're ever gonna do a woody allen movie i like midnight in paris better but um i think manhattan is very good it is a movie that is I like to try to do the divorce the artist from the art thing as much as possible but this one sure seems pretty autobiographical in hindsight and <laughs> yeah it's not a comfortable one but it is a good well made well acted movie so uh, your mileage may vary number 4 for me is the truly withering divorce drama Kramer versus Kramer which is one of my favorite Merrill Street performances uh, who's an actress that we will discuss someday. And then we will lose some listeners after you hear my thoughts. Uh, God, and, Jesus. <laughs> and uh, I, I think this is a good movie, um, but it is very much in that like right down the middle sort of award bait movie that defined like what the Oscars were for a solid 20, 25 years. This is like, peak that and the fifth one i thought about two comedies that i like that haven't aged perfectly but are still pretty good for it but i ended up going with and justice for all which is a courtroom drama yep from norman jewison it's kind of it, it's it's largely quite good and well acted it gets a little into the hua pacino especially at the end and it it, it doesn't really make any sense as a as like a are we going to seriously analyze the courtroom? I don't even think I mentioned it when we did courtroom dramas in the social network episode way back in our debut, which probably speaks to what I think of 1979 overall, that the fifth best movie of 1979 didn't even rate in as, as an honorable mention in its genre category for me. So that's my top five.
1: So my number one is Apocalypse Now. I remember now that a, uh, the consternation you had was whether you're going to put Apocalypse Now or Alien at number one.
2: I, You know what? Honestly, I like Apocalypse Now, but that movie feels, even though it's only like three hours, it feels like it's four and a half hours long. And while it is masterful in a great, great number of ways, it has a little too much Terrence malick of it, especially yeah. in the back half for me that it's just it's a masterpiece it's wonderful but I, I i just i don't feel quite as engaged as i might want to
1: hey, hey look nature that's that's how i describe every hey look, nature, exactly. hey look nature um now number two is also not alien i'll go kramer versus kramer here because i happen to like um meryl streep and her performances dear god the the actors you consistently take out every week um my number three is Alien, though, so that, it's not that far off. My number four, because I'm a child at heart, is the Muppet movie. Uh, I just have to go with the movie I've seen the most from this year, and there are few movies as a kid that were on in my house more than like a, just name a Muppets movie, and it was there. And then my number five, um, because I love my parents, as you heard last week, I'll say Star Trek, the motion picture, but I personally love um, the Warriors. Oh, Warriors is good. Warriors is really fun and like a fun rewatch in
2: 2021 as well. Um, Any honorable mentions? Uh, I would say, you know, actually the Warriors should be on my honorable mentions. That's good. I, I kind of like Rocky too. There's nothing. It's fine.
1: It's, it's the continuation of one. Yeah. He wins. That's the difference in Rocky II. He wins.
2: It's, it's likable. It starts to get into the sort of goofier shit that defines the three and four, but it's fine. Uh, I, th- I would say the, the Steve Martin movie, the jerk is quite good and quite funny and probably not a movie that is appropriate in 2021. And the Monty Python film, the life of Brian, is also, I believe, 1979. And those are those are both uh, movies that high school me at least found quite hilarious. And I, I, <laughs> I'm going to go with that and pick those two.
1: Is Alien a top five film of the 1970s? I'll just go ahead and say no for me. But I ask you, Oz, was your number one of 1979? Did it make your top five for the 70s? Fifth place for me. It Fifth makes it, place. Wow. Something ranked on Oz's top five decade list. Did Logan Rate make it for your top five decade? No. It, no. Macri's one, obviously. It made your It barely t- made it for the year. For That's right, twenty seven. But- I was remembering which one was your top five for that yep. one.
2: How do
3: we kill it, Ash? There's got to be a way of killing it. How, how do we do it? You can't. That's bullshit. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility. You admire it. I admire its purity. A survivor. unclouded. it. By conscience, remorse, or delusions of morality. Look, I've heard enough of this, and I'm asking you to pull the plug. Master, I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies.
1: We have two more categories left. First off, is Alien a top five Alien versus Predator franchise
2: film? So I love this category because I think it's sort of fun nerd culture shit, which is that at the end of Predator 2, there's a scene where you see the inside of a Predator ship. And as you are likely aware, if you are listening to this podcast, the Predators hunt for sport. And they track through the ship and you see the various trophies. And one of the trophies on display on the Predator ship is a xenomorph skull. And thus, a million nerd wet dreams were born of, oh my God, could we have an alien and Predator crossover thing? And rather than make a movie right away, they made comic books and novels (laughs) and video games and all the other ways that you kind of stoke nerd interest without actually delivering the thing that we... Want, but it's it's sort of a fun way the franchises have come together and eventually in two movies that are um, well let's just say when you sign Paul W S Anderson to make your movie you're not expecting to get greatness in return uh, made two movies that are not great but I think a, a, f- a fun way to think about these franchises is the way that it it interplays with one of the other uh, long-standing action sci-fi franchises from the eighties.
1: So if you remember from the last time. I wrote down one line to describe each movie, all 12 movies in this franchise. So let's go through it one more time. First, you have in 1979, Alien, the one with the chest burst scene where Bilbo's a robot. Um, In 1986, you have Aliens, the James Cameron one where Ripley's now a badass motherfucker that saves a little girl and Bill Paxton thinks he's trying to win an Oscar. Um, then in the next year, you have Predator in 1987, the one where Arnold and Apollo Creed create that infamous meme slash gif of a hand and shake with biceps. Uh, then you have Predator 2, the one where shit happens. The Predator actually says shit happens where Danny Glover is definitely not playing rigs and everyone in L.A. has a gun. Um, Alien 3 the David Fincher one where the prison has no guns because Sigourney Weaver said so and Tywin Lannister is there um, Alien Resurrection the one where Ripley is a clone that could probably play for the Knicks um, there's an maybe, entire
2: maybe not the 2021 Knicks that's, that's a, that right. seems like an age of joke uh, listen, the, she can
1: shoot threes. She Actually, shooting, she can, she's better than Knox. Let's I was not about to say, <laughs> she could play for the Knicks. Whether she'd get playing times in a Tibbs offense is a completely different story. Um, but I digress. Uh, then in 2004, we get Alien versus Predator, the one in Antarctica with the pyramid that shifts like Inception and Sanaa Lathan dates a Predator that isn't the thing, but could be resident evil and is PG 13 for some fucking reason. So bad. I really like the sled tunnel though. I wish the action park, please just recreate that, please. Um, (laughs) Alien versus Predator Requiem in 2007. I forget the brothers that did this movie, but it's like two fans, I think it is. Um, This is the one where they nuke an entire town in Colorado. And even though I really can't see anything, this is easily the most grindhouse, goriest movie in the franchise. Then in 2010, we hinted at this last week, Predators, the surprisingly good one in the woods with three Academy Award winners, or three Academy Award winners uh, among the cast and definitely wasn't inspired by Lost and has pretty surprisingly great cinematography. Uh, Prometheus in 2012... The prequel where Ridley Scott returns, Michael Fassbender is a bad robot. Uh, Solomon Lane is a zombie, and Charlize and Idris Elba uh, earned a paycheck. Well, Charlize can't run a straight line. Uh, Can't run. Can't only can run straight lines. Yeah, yeah. And Idris Elba got a paycheck. Uh, And then two more: Alien Covenant in 2017, the prequel sequel. Where Billy Cut Up <laughs> defends analytics. He literally says we're making an analysis based on the data available. Uh, and Fastbender has a twin that commits genocide, and the alien is a cartoon in this movie. Uh, then the last one, uh, The Predator, uh, the Shane Black one where he tried to get his sexual offender friend a job and the guy from this is us finally gets to curse. Is that an Uh, accurate uh, representation of the alien vs predator franchise?
2: Yeah. You know, honestly, that's a, that's pretty accurate (laughs) representation of the alien versus predator (laughs) franchise. Um, and you could probably, I, I think that'll probably tee up our lists in a, in a pretty unsurprising way, uh, from there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say, I don't feel as strongly as I did in other franchise lists um, for this one. However, I am curious to see how much agreement you have with me. Cause the top, the top two are interesting. Cause I think there's one like prestige good one. And then there's one like action great one or two action great ones. And then some underrated one. There's one underrated one. I think we, I know we both agree with. And then uh, number five, I think whoever, whatever we pick at five is a take. You know, five,
2: five is where it starts to, to go awry. Seriously. For me.
1: So my number one is Alien. I will go Alien above Aliens. Um, having said that, like pick a different day. I would take Aliens over Alien. Um, I think like the runtime having something to do with it. Alien is just under two hours, two and a half hour action movie. I'm, I'm in James Cameron, but I need to be like in the mood to watch a two and a half hour action movie where... I, I know what happens. You know, you know
2: what Aliens is better at? It's better at the the TNT test or the TBS test. It's yes. so much it's yes. it's really good like if it's on TV and you just plug in at some point in it. There's always something good and exciting happening in that movie. That's a real it's like a all time champ on the TNT test. Bingo.
1: Um my number three is I'll go Predator at number three. Um look, I <laughs> I honestly think I could, I could go a different one at three, but I'll go classically. After the first thirty minutes of Predator, when they raid the the hut, I'm just not a fan. But when the thing is like hunting them off one by one in the jungle, is when the movie starts to become fun for me. Um, similar to the other horror movies that are or the other movies that use horror elements in their movie. Um, my number four is going to be Predators, um, the one from 2010 with Adrian Brody and Mahershala Ali and um, Oh, Topher Grace
2: and Walton Goggins, Lawrence uh, Fishburne. It just keeps going. It's really great
1: cast. The the cinematography in that movie makes no sense. It is no business being as good as it is. And it just it works. It it there's so many nods to the the original Predator, but I, I end up leaving that being like this is a much better version with which much better actors in it, you know? No offense to Arnold. Just but
2: Jesse the Body Ventura is much, deeply offended right now. I have
1: to say, no offense to Arnold and Apollo Creed, but much offense to Arnold and Apollo Creed. <laughs> uh, and then my number five, man, I'm reaching. Um, I will go with... Can I, you've done director's cuts. I'll go with... The director's cut of Alien 3, but I don't, like, I'm not the biggest, like, defender of it. I know Fincher hates it, and I, I like his darker nihilistic version of Alien. Um, I like that Sigourney Weaver was so anti-gun that the entire movie had to be more creative with its kills and how they attack because there's no guns on this island. While admitting it is a slog to get through, two hours of Charles dance is not the worst way to spend. Your time. So those would be my top five in the Alien vs Predator franchise. Oz,
2: your top five. Uh, and you, you'll have to indulge me because I may run through the hall, the hall twelve. Oh, go ahead. I can't, I can't help myself. Uh, number one for me is Alien. Number two for me is Aliens. For all the reasons we've discussed, I think Alien is just a straight up better movie, though I adore Aliens. Number three for me is Predators. Uh, Predators is amazing. I I. When I rewatched, it, I had a I had like a warm, fuzzy memory of it when I saw it in theaters when it first came out on DVD. After, and I, I don't think I'd seen it since then. When I rewatched it, I, I was blown away by how fun it is. It is it is great B movie filmmaking. Yeah. It's all the cast is actually like like really committed to this. There there's some really funny off color shit in it too that you know even 10 years later probably would not make it into the movie but uh it's even like it's it's such a weird example of a not very good director this guy nimrod antel getting just the right project and just the right fit of people for his skill set to come up with something really really good uh predator the original will be fourth place for me and fifth largely because i think it's maybe the second best made movie on this list. Uh, and I, I have a lot of plot quibbles with it. And I, I could not care less about the reams of Reddit pages about digesting the philosophy of it. Uh, but it has lots of pretty people doing interesting space shit. And uh, that's Prometheus will be fifth for me, even though I, I just couldn't give a fuck about any of the excess bullshit.
1: What is like, the clip notes thirty second version
2: of the the, oh clip, my God. the the Reddit version. The Reddit bullshit. So people have written like like dissert- dissertations on all of the stuff that's intended in the writing uh, of this thing. Like all of the it's it's Lindelof who obviously is the more talented of the folks who made Lost who wrote it, the guy who went on to make Watchmen and, and the leftovers uh, and people have really bought into the sort of philosophizing of what these creator beings are and what it all means and the origins of life in the universe. And I buy none of it, but that's, that's really where it is.
1: I will also buy none of it on behalf of partnering with you on this.
2: So uh, the other rest of the franchise and I'll run through it quickly. I I know you don't like this one, but I kind of like it and I recognize it is a very bad movie. I still think it's kind of fun. Six for me is the predator which is the Shane Black one. Oh, yeah. I, I like Sterling K Brown cursing and being a bad guy. Mm -hmm. I kind of like, I like Boyd Holbrook in it. I think it's fun. Garbage. It's garbage. The the
1: Keegan-Michael Key lines though.
2: Oh, they're very bad. There's a lot of bad writing here. There's, yeah. He feels like the most reshot of all of this. It is, it is a, if you ever want to see movies where you can see the seams of where the reshoots are, this is one of the clearest ones ever. It's really, it's really jarring, but I still think there's enough good here. Um, seven for me is alien covenant, which is the more recent of the Ridley Scotts, as you called it a pre-sequel or a prequel sequel. Um, it, it's, it has Fastbender is good in it. There's a really, uh, kind of upsetting like self abortion scene in the movie, which is I think pretty effective and scary. It's probably the most that's like a horror movie of the entire franchise, but uh, that or outside the original Alien? The fir- I was gonna say outside of the first Alien. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, but it leans into it leans into sort of horror and body horror and stuff like that. There's a whole ass genocide in, uh, the, med- in the middle of that movie too. <laughs> I thought coming into this exercise and the and the rewatch that Alien Three would be up there for me and probably about where you had it. And I just I. I I think the work print cut and the theatrical are about the same. I think the work print cut's probably more interesting, but it's just, it's really, really rough and really messy. And the theatrical, the the last act is so unwatchable. The last half hour of this movie is, is almost indescribably bad. So uh, Alien 3 is going to go there. Uh, nine for me will be Alien versus Predator Requiem, or sorry, Aliens versus Predator Requiem, which has maybe the worst assemblage of actors that one of these movies has ever had. Um it, it's I can't say this is a good movie in any way, shape, or form, but it has an awful lot of kills and a lot of them are quite graphic. And that that's that's all I got for why this has value. It has a a pred alien, which is a very stupid concept. Yes, the pred alien. Yes. Um it 10 for me is alien resurrection, which is a just Dog shit movie. It has some cool, like under like there's a fairly nice looking like underwater thing of the alien tracking them, but it's a very bad movie. The Humalian is a, a choice at the end of the movie. Yeah. The the last half hour of this is just embarrassing. Um and it even it even has a cool last shot, which is Ripley and Winona Ryder on Earth, and Earth that's been invaded, and they're just nobody wants to see any more of this shit. Uh the next for me is Predator Two, which I just don't think is good. Um I get that there's an audience for it. That audience is not me. Shit happens at, to us. At 12 is a movie that should have been left buried in the Antarctic ice for all time and that's Alien versus Predator.
1: Yeah, she's having the moment at the end where like please don't die. Like I'll never let go, Jack. I'll promise. <laughs> it's like what are you talking about? It's a fucking alien. What are you
2: doing? <laughs> a really bad one, too. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah. Um okay I I I will let your list be our collective list because I just I don't feel as strongly about this franchise (laughs) (laughs) um but I look there's there's a clear drop off after like two or three so yeah
3: final report of the commercial starship Nostromo third officer reporting the other members of the crew Kane Lambert Parker Brett Ash And Captain Dallas are dead. Cargo and ship destroyed. I should reach the frontier in about six weeks. With a little luck, the network will pick me up. This is Ripley. Last survivor of the Nostromo. Signing off.
1: Okay, last category. Is Alien a top five sci-fi film? Now, I should say... This is number seven on AFI's 10 greatest sci-fi films, for whatever that means. This is one of the only sci-fi films preserved in the Library of Congress as culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Yet, I struggled so much to narrow down my list to, like, 30, let alone narrow it down to five, and even to like specifically define like the science fiction of it all to be the thing that makes it great. You know that like there are superhero movies that are sci-fi star Wars is sci-fi, but I, I don't know why I think that more like it's a space Western. It's, it's star Wars. It's its own genre, you know? Um, yeah, like Logan last week is sci-fi. We didn't put it in that world at all. Uh, Oz, what do you think
2: of when you think of sci-fi this is a really really hard category for me to define because i th- there's an in, there's an instinctive part of me that is like this is going to the moon which gets us in a sort of grounded sci-fi thing but i also think that I guess the technical term is space opera. Stuff like Star Wars falls under the sci-fi umbrella. I think the dystopian stuff like Mad Max is close enough to fall under the sci-fi umbrella, Terminator 2, whatever. I, I just it's so hopelessly broad. I, I almost don't know how to I really, this is one of the most difficult categories I think we've ever done, mostly, not not even because there aren't good options. There are a million movies I adore. I just didn't know how best to define this category and how to think of what's the most science fiction-y to me. And that's where I struggled.
1: I almost wonder if it's fair to say that this is one of those categories where your top five today could have a completely different list tomorrow. That It really is a... Because of how big the genre is... It it really can depend on what what mood you're in for your top five maybe your top five now but there really is a range of like a top twenty or a top fifteen that that you really consider
2: great that you're just picking five for this list right that's exactly where I'm at I, I could probably do it by decade but even then I'd be I'd be hurting I I just this is it's a really broad category for a genre that's very important to me and my interests it's and it's so. It's so broad that I, I I found this to be very trying.
1: So I realized I went out of order because I did my top 10 of the decade, top five of the decade really quick. So it's your turn uh, to right. wrap us up with your top five science fiction films.
2: So number one, I'm going to go with Alien. Uh, I love it. Mm. I think it's wonderful. I think it's important. I think it's one of the best made movies of all time. Uh, Alien, it is. Number two for me, I... I, the heart wants this. I'm not even sure that it's my favorite star Wars movie. I don't care. The empire strikes back will be my number two. Uh, my number three is a movie that we now have a running gag of mentioning every week. And at some point we will, at some point we will do an episode about it because it shows up in every fucking category. My number three is children of men. It's on my list too. Don't worry. <laughs> the, 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 the utterly superb, uh, Quarone, um, sci-fi dystopian, Clive Owen-led thriller. Uh, number four for me. We're going to go off the beaten path a little here and go with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is one of these that falls into a group of sci-fi romance things that I don't know if they're quite science fictiony enough to count as science fiction, but I'm throwing it in there. I think this movie is an absolute masterpiece in every way from writing the humor the direction it's really it's a perfect movie and number six I don't think this is what I picked last time but it's what I'm going to pick this time number six is Wally the Pixar masterpiece uh, which perhaps we'll discuss in a Pixar episode someday but one of the one of the greatest animated movies ever made
1: fully agree um,
2: looking forward to that supposed Pixar pod coming potentially soon there, there's definitely not a disney cartoon coming out in two weeks that would give no, us cause to do that or anything
1: not at all not at all um okay my top five my number one should be very obvious to people who have listened to this pod before jurassic park is my number one, one of the greatest movies of all time my number two is probably my favorite um time travel movie where The effects of time travel make the most sense for me, and it's Back to the Future. Um, I I like some of the other movies that play with time travel, but some of them, like, look, I love End Game. That just you can't just be like, yeah, it doesn't matter what you did in the past; it doesn't affect the future. Well, then, like, go back and kill Hitler. That, like, there you go. Then the, the whole butterfly effect isn't a thing anymore. Back to the Future. Listen, I, I like to think I'm a, a person of character, but in the Back to the Future 2, the almanac is 100% something I would do. Go back in <laughs> time and like place all these bets on the Warriors in the early 2010s and be like, oh, how did I know it was coming? Uh, so Back to the Future is my number two. Um Alien's my number three, so it's up there for me. I I think all the, the accolades we've given it throughout this, I think it's it's set a standard for what movies like this are supposed to be. What good movies of like this are supposed to look like and it also like plays on other genres the i can't just it can't be stated enough the horror parts of this movie where you're not just like exploring space but you're fearing what is out there is part of why this movie is so great and so impactful all these years later number four is The Terminator. While, honestly, this could be Terminator 2 Judgment Day, when I think T2, I think more action than I do um, sci-fi. And look, I mentioned this when we talked about True Lies a couple weeks ago. I don't really buy Arnold as a human in anything. Ever, and him playing the Terminator I think is his lane That's where you get to totally play fair. with the physicality of someone that big and that huge and all of his lines sound robotic because hey he's a robot uh, and then my number five is Children of Men as Oz mentioned a movie we are absolutely just going to have to do one yeah. of these days um, honorable mentions
2: uh, I have 40 or 50 honorable (laughs) mentions. Name two, name two. Uh, I will go with 2001 A Space Odyssey. And I'll go with one that maybe is a little lesser, but I think is worth mentioning because I think I know one of the other ones you're going to mention now. And I'm going to go with Sunshine. The Danny Boyle, the sun is going to stop. So we need to send a bunch of astronauts up there to restart it. Movie that becomes something else once they're in space.
1: Well, let's see if you do guess the one I was going to mention. The first I'll mention is Inception. Which I, I strongly consider to be either my number five or number six, um, but falls right below Edge of Tomorrow, which I already sang its praises in a, a couple uh, categories back. And then another movie that I'll mention is Ex Machina, the oh, that's good. Alex right. Alex Garland movie from five or six years ago with um, uh, Domhnall Gleeslin and Oscar Isaac and Alicia Vikander, and I just all of the. The creator meets creation themes are are pretty impactful throughout that movie. Okay, let's run through it. What was your final review of Alien?
2: Uh, All right, so Ridley Scott, first place. Sigourney Weaver, second place. Ian Holm, third place. John Hurt, third place. Production design, first place. Alien movies, first place. 1979, first place. 1970s, fifth place. Science fiction movies, first place. The Alien versus Predator franchise, first place, giving me a grand total of a 41. Which is, I believe, the second highest score that I've given on final review. Which seems appropriate for the amount that I love this movie, and I think it also is giving us an idea that perhaps the perfect score on this movie might not be a fifty because of the way the category nature works. But our 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 top of the barrel looks like it's going to be in the forty-two to forty-four range. It's going to be hard for anything to get beyond that, just the nature of these categories. But this is ooh, this is this is a special one
1: what I like about our, our grading system is that there's really no such thing as a perfect movie. You know, there's never going to be a 50 out of 50, but what you will have is movies ranked really high or rated really high based off of the grading rubric. And for something to be this high for you, it, it must be great. And it's, it's why like, Going forward, I look forward to episode 100 when we look back at the 100 greatest movies and seeing how well they fit into an all-time pantheon. My final review of Alien looked like this. Number one for Ridley Scott. Number three for Sigourney Weaver. Number three for Ian Holm. Number five A for John Hurt. um Number three for production design. Did not rank for Alien movie. Did not uh number three for seventy nine. Did not rank for the seventies. Number one in Alien versus Predator franchise and number three in sci-fi films. I believe that gives me a score of twenty six. Which I don't know if we've ever really talked about this. Like sci-fi because growing up in a household of Trekkies, I I my eyes a lot so it's it's taken me a lot to really dive into the 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 outer space the science fiction of it all and alien really helped me explore this this world and this genre and to put it right above the middle i think is is perfect
2: for my personal pantheon so that's good um anything else before we get out here us uh yeah one one thing uh There's a movie called Alien on Stage. It's a documentary that a couple of filmmakers made about a stage show version that a local community theater put on of Alien. And as a result of one of the directors seeing this show uh, it it helped grow this strange cult following for it and eventually they were able to put on uh, a version of alien on stage on west end which as you may well know is london's version of broadway and it's roughly the equivalent of if your shitty rinky dink theater down the street managed to put a show on broadway and it's this it's this loving this, it's a love letter to weirdo outcasts who have this passion project in their life and their passion project is to recreate the movie alien on a stage and oh it's, shit! <laughs> it's great. It's really, really funny. It's really touching. There's also some remarkable creativity I- involved in the people and how they make the sets and how they make the the xenomorph costume. It's really cool. It's really funny. It actually, we talked about the disaster artist a couple of weeks ago briefly. It has a vibe kind of like that, even though it's documentary. And it is playing. There's a festival called Doc NYC, and I believe this episode is coming out on Friday the twelfth. And I could tell you it is playing on Sunday the 14th and Monday the 15th at IFC Center, if you are a Manhattan based listener. And it is streaming online as part of the Doc NYC. Uh, festival uh, from, November, from November 15th to November 28th. And I think you just have to be in the US to get a ticket to it that way. Uh, I interviewed the directors back when it debuted at South by Southwest, and I, I found them both to be direct uh, to be delightful. And I think the film is delightful as well and definitely worth your time, especially if you're a fan of this franchise and this movie.
1: One thing I forgot to ask you, what would your grade be on Letterboxd out of 10? Uh 10. 10. Yes, me as well. 10 out of 10. And I want to rectify two things from last week before we get out of here. First of all, Logan's a 10 out of 10. The more I thought about it, the nitpicking of superhero bullshit. If any superhero movie for me is going to be a 10, that's it. So, a 10 out of 10 for for Logan. And then Patrick Stewart. Um, Since we recorded that Logan pod with Mr. Macri, I toughed it out and Watched the Patrick Stewart yes! performance in Green Room. And as far as my list goes, I will just say that there is a version of my list that, uh, if I'm able to ignore the unnecessarily gory kills in that movie, specifically the, for me personally, the very triggering dog eating human by the neck scenes, I just. Yeah, I'm kind of out of that. However... The menace of Patrick Stewart's character in that movie is on display. And I, I got I got what you saw. It probably still wouldn't make anything higher than my number five. I'll replace it um, with Ted if you'd like, but I I still just not my cup of tea. I will take it. Yeah, but. there you go. <laughs> so, um yeah, what would you like to plug?
2: Follow me at on Movies on Twitter or come to the Invention to read some fun film stuff. Please rate review subscribe five stars it makes a difference please do that uh yeah thank you for listening indeed thank you for listening oh shout out schwinn i know this is your favorite movie
1: Ah, there you go schwinn if you listen to the end of this um we love you thank you for listening uh and to everybody out there thank you for listening and tune in next time for another final review
3: mypatriotsupply.com